Hello, and welcome to the All Things ADHD podcast from CHAD's National Resource Center on ADHD. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Gabriela Navarro, the Bilingual Health Information Specialist here at CHAD. I have Dr. Jeffrey Katz to talk about school and the ADHD child, Section 504, and special education. Please um, introduce yourself, Dr. Katz. Yes, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Katz. I'm a clinical psychologist in practice in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I see mostly children, adolescents, and families with various school-related issues as well as behavioral kinds of issues. I specialize with ADHD and learning disabilities and so on. I'm also very active with Chad. I'm on the board of directors. I am on the professional advisory board. And my favorite is being the co-chair of the public policy committee. Thank you for joining us. Um, We're going to go right ahead and ask some questions. So what are the symptoms that prevent a child with ADHD from succeeding in school? And what are the symptoms parents and educators should be looking for? If you say that the child has ADHD, that actually implies that they are having some type of difficulties in school or at home. But certainly there are children who are students who are having difficulty in school and may not have been identified. So what are the symptoms you should be looking for? It would be impulsivity, blurting things out, getting into trouble in the playground, not because they're trying to fight somebody, but because they get too close to people or they jump in, they want to be first. Within the classroom, you can see the same kinds of issues with impulsivity, but one of the biggest issues, of course, is maintaining their attention with the teacher, getting their work done, being able to persist in the effort that's needed, being hyperactive in the classroom. It's not that other students don't have those kinds of behaviors. The difference for somebody who has ADHD is that it is happening frequently and much more frequently than it is for another kid, and it's causing problems for them either with the academics, uh, in terms of school rules, or with their peers. Those are the differences there. All right. What are the evidence-based school interventions to help them succeed? And are some accommodations more effective than others? There are things out there. For every child who's ADHD, every child's different. You can say general things about some of the symptoms they may have, who the child is, and the severity of one particular group of symptoms over another that has to do with the child, as well as other factors, because there's a higher rate, what they call comorbidity, with people with ADHD, that they can also have anxiety, depression. They can have one of the things is emotional discontrol. Some kids with ADHD are very just inattentive, and they're more lethargic and slow-moving rather than being hyperactive. There are evidence-based school interventions, but it's interesting. I had this discussion last week. The problem is that none of them are very consistently applied at schools. So what happens with one teacher may be different from another. There are some accommodations that are more effective than others, and I think maybe a little bit later we can talk more specifically about accommodations. But there is evidence-based school interventions in terms of behavioraling positive behavioral intervention and support. It's called PBIS. You went to pbis.org, plenty of good information. That's generally for kids who are having more severe behavioral difficulties, not the disruptive, basic disruptive behavior, not paying attention, those kinds of things. We'll get there uh, too. And then a little bit of the difference between a 504 and an IEP. 
We'll definitely um, get into that in the next question. Can you talk about the differences between Section 504 and an IEP, which is the individual education plans, and like what makes a child eligible to receive them? And does a child need an ADHD diagnosis to receive them? So the difference is Section 504 is for those kids who have disabilities, disabilities under federal regulations would be ADHDs included. So Section 504 is accommodations in the regular classroom. So the child does not get special educational services. They don't require that higher level of services. But the idea is that Section 504 provides for the accommodations, but as well as services, if the child actually needs a lot of services, it's probably in the school's best interest to see if the child is eligible for special education, an IEP, because the school gets federal money for kids in special education. There's no money for Section 504. Section 504 is just, these are things that, because if under the Americans with Disabilities Act, if a child was in a wheelchair under Section 504, you have to have a ramp for the wheelchair to go up. So that's a difference, really. A Section 504 to be eligible you asked, does a child with need an ADHD diagnosis to receive them? There are two questions. Well, first of all, if you have an ADHD diagnosis, the Office of Civil Rights and the Department of Education that are in charge of Section 504, if you have a diagnosis of ADHD, they presume that the child has problems in school. So there is a presumption that they have a problem in school. The next question that the school will want to know, is it impairing them? It's called impairing a life function. Under the regulations, that could be things like concentrating, learning, thinking, could be emotional regulation. The list is not one list that's all inclusive. There are a lot of things that can come under there, working memory issues. And really, it's taking a look at what is your child having difficulties with and can we say what it's from. I know some school districts, the child does not have a diagnosis of ADHD, but the school has recognized that the child's having those specific things, trouble concentrating, trouble controlling the behavior, trouble getting work done. So they actually will provide them a Section 504 without a diagnosis. So the diagnosis is not required, but certainly a diagnosis codifies it, you know, makes it, this is true, this is real for them. And, and it gives some explanation of what's going on. It's certainly not the child's choice to be having difficulties. So that's helpful. Now, a child who maybe even has a 504 or one who doesn't, how do you get an individualized educational plan, which would be more learning disability? So that is, let's take the idea of a learning disability. The child has difficulty uh, reading. You do an evaluation. What's their cognitive abilities? Are they meeting their level of achievement you would expect from it? Are there things that you can say, oh, he has problems with phonological awareness? reading disability, they get individualized educational plan, but those kids often need a different way of learning to read or a different way of doing math or a different way of written expression, learning disabilities. ADHD is not a learning disability. Now, many kids who have learning disabilities also have ADHD, a higher percentage than you'd expect. And the same thing the other way, if you have ADHD, it's possible you may have learning disability also. They're not exclusive. So you could have a kid who has a learning disability, also has ADHD. So you could have a primary eligibility category of learning disability and a secondary category of ADHD. And then they both need to be addressed in the IEP. But there is a category other health impaired, which is ADHD. It could be a number of different things that are totally unrelated to each other. 
but it's an other category. So if the ADHD is so severe that the child requires special educational services or extensive services from the school, they can be made eligible under the IEP. And that's fine. So their primary category would be OHI because of the ADHD. In any case, if you have a child who has ADHD and has an IEP or 504, it's better to me, I think, that they have ADHD somewhere listed in there. Because if those issues are going on, maybe they have a great teacher this year, which just goes with the flow and works well with that youngster. That's that's wonderful. But next year, if they don't, and there's behavioral issues popping up, minor behavioral issues or disruptive behavior, if they don't have that ADHD listed, they could go more punitive than helpful. So that that's the differences between 504, IEP. Part of it is some uh, thinking to yourself about how that may work best for your child. There's a very good guide. It's called the Resource Guide for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which was put out by the Office of Civil Rights in 2016. And anybody can get onto their website. That's the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Education and get that resource guide. And it's actually quite wonderful. And it's nice that it's an easy read. It really explains everything. For example, you can have a child who's gifted, straight A's in school. But if they're having trouble with their homework and getting those things in, they may be eligible. Now, why is it may be eligible? They may be eligible because the question is about the impairment. How much trouble is it causing? I know for me, parents don't bring their kids to me just for fun. They're coming because their child's having difficulties at school. Maybe the school doesn't see it, but their child comes home and they're frustrated and they're down on themselves, they're anxious. If that's the case, that would be part of that impairment. Yeah, I've been a nurse for eight years and I worked in pediatrics for three and I never knew how to differentiate between Section 504 and an IEP. So thank you for that. The next question will be, who should be involved in making sure that a struggling student receives their accommodations? And what is the role of the teacher, the parents, and the healthcare provider, and anyone else that may be involved? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I might reword it a little bit. The question is, of course, if the child is struggling, what are their needs? Now, the IEP would have goals. We're working on improving reading or this or that. They can do that for ADHD also. But the other thing is that, so the IEP will have goals and accommodations, whereas the 504, it's basically just accommodations. Let's go to healthcare provider first. If you're talking about the physician, honestly, they're not generally involved. They may write a script that says Johnny has ADHD and he needs 504 in school. That means nothing to the school. It doesn't provide the school the information they need. And they may say, oh, that's very interesting that we don't think so. It may cause them to have a meeting. Who knows? But also when you say the healthcare provider, my perspective, if your child is struggling in school, I feel that you should see a psychologist or another mental health professional who is familiar with ADHD. A lot of things look like ADHD and it requires a good evaluation and more than just what the pediatrician might do. You may be familiar with the Vanderbilt rating scale. It's a basic rating scale, and it may give a sense of whether or not that child has ADHD. Some pediatricians would use that to diagnose a child if the rating scales from the teachers and the parents you know, show high levels of ADHD behavior. But if they don't, well, then what? The other thing is that they don't give that much information. They don't give information 
about particularly the executive kind of executive functioning skills, those things that really people feel and know are really a part of ADHD, the things like impulse control, the things like working memory, getting started on tasks, organization and planning, the ability to monitor getting work done, all those things is more organizational in the brain. It's always good to have more of that information so that when the teacher says, well, he just doesn't want to do his work, but you know that the problem is he has trouble paying attention to it in the first place. He has trouble sitting there for 20 minutes doing that work. He easily feels overwhelmed. That you want to be able to tie in, that's where you know it's ADHD. And then the other thing is why I think it's important to have at least to have a mental health person in your back pocket. Somebody who knows you, knows your child, you've gone to it for a little while, have somebody in that back pocket if your child is getting overly frustrated or you as a parent are getting overly frustrated and what to do, it's good to have somebody. But let's say school runs well this year, but next year things are falling apart. The kid went to middle school. Nobody's doing what they should do. It's good to have somebody to go back to. So what's the role of the parent? You as a parent know your child well. Now, you know your child from birth you know, onwards, so it's kind of longitudinal. What's good about teachers is they do know if it's a fifth grade teacher, they know a lot of fifth graders. They don't necessarily know your child, but you can trust that they know a lot of fifth graders and what's typical. So the role of the teacher in some way is to say what they're seeing in the classroom, is it the same or different from other kids? Is a child doing as well as they can? And more often than not, they'll say no. I mean, if he would just get his work done or if he would pay attention, I know he knows it, but it's just not coming through. So the role of the teacher is good. And in fact, it's going to be the teacher who does those Accommodations. Accommodations should not be written about the parent is going to work with the kid at home. No, no, no. It's about the teacher. It's not about that he will get his notebook organized or he's going to get the teacher to sign the homework uh, book. It's not, that's not it. The idea is to make it easier for the kid, it's to facilitate their learning, to facilitate their ability to show what they know. That's what the accommodations do. You're hoping that the kid is going to walk up to the teacher and get the little planner sign that he recorded the homework correctly. I'll tell you, it's not, it generally doesn't work. I'm not saying don't try, but why try it if you think it's not going to work? I'd rather have the teacher take the responsibility for getting, for going up to the kid in a nice way and saying, oh, I got this, you got that down. Oh, you missed this. Let me write that down for you so that it's taking pressure off the child. We don't want to feel the child to feel worse. You want to make it work. And if the issue is for the child to do studying at home or get some work done at home, then let's not fight over who's going to sign the book. Now, if one thinks that's important, well, then you have to work within the mind of ADHD and the understanding of ADHD and say, we can set up an incentive program. You know, if you get three out of five teachers to sign it, hey, you'll be able to earn this when you get home or at school is even better. So that's okay to do, but as long as it works. If it's not working, that's no good. So the teacher's important. The parent's job is to represent the kid, your child, and you really need to advocate for the child. And I'm glad you're listening to this because obviously you're taking some time out, caring enough about your child that you're educating yourself. And that's really what you need. Truly, you have to know more than the school often about what they're required to do. I do a lot of advocacy with parents so that they'll ask me to go to the school meetings with them, which I like to do because I think 
the problems that schools cause, either with through a lack of knowledge or not seeming to really want to take the time to understand what's going on with that child. I think it's very important. And oftentimes, I would, in fact, go with that resource guide for ADHD from the Office of Civil Rights. Would you believe it? Some people at the school don't know these are the regulations and this is what they're supposed to be doing. So I, and I'm saying, till and there are people out there who are advocates and they're paid advocates who know these things will go to the school with you and they can be really good. They don't necessarily have a degree like I do to really understand it. There are some other places. Most schools have a parent resource center. Their job is to give you information about how to use the system, how to work through the system. There's an organization called, oh, I forget the name in our area because there are offices in every state. It's PTC, it's parents and educators and teachers together or something. But if you look up for resources because they're free. So there are many things like that can be very helpful. And I'll get one more thing in anyone else. You said, sure, sure. Because maybe the child and many, many children with ADHD have poor handwriting and they write slowly and it is painful. And trying to get them to write an essay when they can't organize those things in their head, and when even once they get it organized in the thread, then they, had, they have to write it down one letter at a time to get all that out. And that takes working memory and persistence and, they, and it, I have trouble holding it together. So there are other people. You may want the school to do an assistive technology evaluation. Maybe they should use speech-to-text technology when they write. They speak, the computer does it. Or many people with ADHD, they read fine, but they can't keep their mind on their reading. So text-to-speech technology where the computer reads out loud what they're looking at, that is extremely helpful for kids because it just takes away that, that step and they can listen to it and read at the same time. You might want an occupational therapist to, to work on the handwriting. So there are a lot of other services that could be good. And it definitely takes a village when it comes to um, supporting a child, especially in schools. The next question that we have is what else can parents and teachers do when a child is still struggling despite receiving school interventions and what additional supports are available? I have a number of different responses to that question. It's a very good question because kids with ADHD at the end of every report I have, I write that difficulties with ADHD vary depending on the circumstances and the demands of the environment. And so you have to monitor accommodations. Are they being effective? And if not, then what do we need to do to change? Gabriel could have difficulties in first grade, but then have a great teacher in second. Could be doing great in social studies in middle school, but math is awful. Things change from year to year. Some weeks kids have with ADHD do just fine. And then in the next week, they're not doing fine. It's inconsistent. doesn't mean they're not ADHD. So you have to be able to follow those things. Is a child still struggling? One thing I tell parents is once you have that Section 504 meeting, you write up a plan, that's wonderful. Before you leave that meeting, you should ask them, when is the next meeting? The response I believe you'll get is something like, oh, these plans, that they're fluid. We can always have a meeting, never a problem. So if there's a problem, we'll get together and I will jump in and say, well, when's the next meeting? Because we're not going to wait for the problem. Parents don't want to bother the school. They really don't. The school wants to do a good job. I, I just don't think they always understand ADHD children very well. To me, four and a half weeks, we should see if it's working. If it's not working, then we need to rejigger those accommodations. If it is working, well, that's good too. But then maybe we've taken care of the big issues 
maybe there's the other smaller ones now are coming up and it's worth the time. I think although some teachers may start by saying it takes a very time consuming for me to do this, one can think in your head, well, isn't the child already being very time consuming because they don't listen to you and they're doing poorly to make you feel bad? You have to put in the time on the front end to help the kid. And if you really understand that it's ADHD and what's happening, that's very helpful. One thing I want to say is when you have a meeting, the school will often start by saying, oh, you, you requested this 504 meeting or the IEP meeting. What are your concerns? And I tell parents, do not be the first one to answer because I think the school then is responding to your answer and not necessarily all the concerns. So I would usually say to the parents or if I'm there, I'd say, you know, I'm very interested in what the teachers have to say about how he's doing. I want to hear from them. I write these things down. I audio record every meeting I go to, which you're allowed to do by law. I write all these things down. And then I have the teacher's words about what the problems are. So I'm not saying, oh, I, you know, he just has trouble getting his work done. The teachers are saying all of this. And I also ask that question, or is the child doing as well as they can? It gives you a lot of information. And then I also ask, how does he get along with the other kids? Because that's important too. So that tells you to me what more the accommodations are. It would go towards maybe the child needs special education based on, you know, he, you know we, we thought it was the, I mean, he certainly has problems with attention and focus. And we thought that's what the problems were in math. But now we can see that he doesn't know his math, or he's really having difficulties with this. And that may be an indicator that the child may also have a learning disability and the school should do an evaluation. And you could possibly find out that the child's having ongoing behavioral issues or whatever, and it may be that maybe he they need that higher level of service. They need to have an IEP instead. So that becomes what that intervention is. But you kind of have to stay on the school. And I, I actually do believe teachers want to do well for your child. But again, they have not Unfortunately, the way it is right now, they've not been trained. Every teacher does not have training in ADHD. Special education teachers don't necessarily have training in ADHD. It's always good to have those check-ins and advocate for those changes because, like you mentioned, something may be going well or some things could be tweaked. So thank you for that. The next question is, what is the student's role in this? And I realize this is going to depend on the age and maturity of the student, but how much are they going to be involved in the process of creating interventions, evaluating the progress and et cetera? Are the parents and educators or providers teaching the students how to self-advocate and respecting their input in the process? I'll say first that we've been talking mostly about accommodation, but if the child has trouble with organization, under Section 504, the school should be teaching organization. And maybe they don't have a goal, they don't have an IEP, but the school is still responsible for the child. And listen, it's not easy. <laughs> Raising kids, it's wonderful, ups and downs all the time. But a child with ADHD, you could be the best parent in the whole wide world, but if you have a child who's ADHD, you really need to manage differently because they just don't respond the same way. Um, you can do the best you can, but you need to learn some things. I wanted to say that if the school is sending work home for you to take care of, to get done at home, or the school is giving suspensions, they're sending him home because he's having a hard time or he's acting up. I tell my parents, don't ever go pick up the kid. Don't accept work. You might say to yourself, you're 12 year old, he can handle 45 minutes of work, you know, at home before he goes nuts. If he has more and he's not getting done, you sign it and you send it on back. Because I think one of the most important 
accommodations, things to look at, is that the issue is not how much the child does. The question is, are they mastering what they're supposed to be learning? So one of the accommodations that I take a lot of pride in that I kind of came up with in COVID, because many of the most 504s are going to say that we're going to give the child extra time to get their work done. I have never, ever seen that accommodation work. So whatever they didn't get done at school, that's going to get sent home. So you can fight with the child over it. Whatever is assigned tomorrow, if you're lucky, it might get turned in in January. And it's never ending for a child who's ADHD and not through fault of their own. Well, if you just sat there and did it, but that is the problem. There's limits there and they just can't do it like that. So what I came up with was, and this is particularly, you know, you're talking about differences at age, you know, maybe for a younger kid, it wouldn't be like this, but middle school, high school, what I say is that each teacher should meet with the student at least once a week and they should go over the work. How's it going? Where'd you get to help that help you get organized with this? And they can alter the assignments. Let's say the child really is having trouble with the written expression part on an essay hey, they can do the text, the speech to text. Or if there's a test and the child does poorly and surprising, the teacher can ask the child, tell me the answer to this. What do you think? And I've had teachers say, and he said what the answer was. I said, well, you know, I'm going to give you the grade you should get. Not grading you because you couldn't get it out on the test or because it took so long for you to do that. And by the way, I just finished an evaluation on a young woman who's in vet school who you know, they time the test and you get one minute for each item and she's killing herself and stressing herself to get grades. But when your internship counts on what grades you have and she doesn't think that it's grading her fairly because she has such trouble just reading the complicated stuff, um, she got, you know, did an evaluation, she got accommodations. So, so this works in colleges and beyond. My point being so that the teacher meets with the child and as the teacher sees what the child's strengths are, what things they do well, but things they have more trouble with, the teacher then can alter the assignments to better fit that student so that the student should never be behind in getting work done. You can lessen the work. You can do this or that. There are different things to do. When it comes to kids with ADHD, particularly when they're young, they don't get it. They don't understand. Kids in middle school, I don't think they usually understand either. High school, maybe, but not really. <laughs> as smart as the kids are, they don't get it. To expect them to understand what their issues are and what to do and this and that, that's tough. Even kids in college, that's tough. And a lot of kids, a lot of people, they don't want to be identified as, oh, that's Bill with his ADHD. They want to be Bill, who likes music and this and that. Some people identify more with the ADHD. Other people, don't. they understand they have ADHD. They use it, have to take medication. These are things they do. But please, that's enough. So the student's role does change with age and maturity of the student. As a psychologist and as a therapist, like I'll say to parents, we're going to split the session. Part of the time, I just see your son or daughter. The rest of the time, we'll all meet together. And part of it, and I tell them that it's not that I'm going to say something to the student, to the youngster, that's going to say, they're going to say, oh, wow. Yeah, Dr. Katz is right. I should pay more attention. What I say is what I'm really going for is to understand how this youngster sees things. And so you had said before, it's what is the child's perception of what's going on? Whether they're right or wrong, that's kind of where they're operating from. So if they say, you know, well, so-and-so is always talking too much and I can't think. Uh, okay, that's fair. You know, so we have to think about that. 
particularly when the kids are younger. And it's really the same process with older kids too, is it's not why you're having a problem, it's what is the problem. I tell parents, don't ask why, it's, it's, it tends up judgmental. It's what is the problem? What's making it hard for you? Because what I'm telling to the kids too, is that my job is to make it work for you and that it's not about what you're supposed to do. It's about what everybody does to support you. Now, do the kids need to learn the skills? Yes. But you can't wait for them to learn the skills. That's why they have accommodations. And the accommodations are there to safety net under the kid until they learn the skills, if they learn the skills. I would never say a kid never will or an individual never will, but everybody's different. And some people will learn skills they need. Some don't, you know, it's all different. But you don't want to set up, again, accommodations or goals just in a cut away, which is actually what OCR says in that ADHD resource guide. No cookie cutter. It really has to be individualized. And you individualize it by thinking through what might be going on. And it is involving the kid in that way. That's always good. And that's also what the problem is and what kinds of things they think might work. And you might off the top of that won't work or the teacher can't do that. So we have to work around to see what will happen. Evaluating progress, have a meeting because you can talk to a teacher all day long. You can talk to the assistant principal all day long. But unless it is a formal meeting. They don't have to do anything. If you're getting frustrated, you need to request a meeting. They have 10 working days to sit down with you by regulation. So the other thing I wanted to add too, like you wondered about the child being in the meeting. In general, to me, the answer is no. The reason why it's no, my experience is everybody wants to be helpful and no problem, but you're there because there's a conflict. Something's not working for the youngster. And what I've seen happen usually, whether it's a younger kid or an older kid in high school, middle school, Somebody's going to turn to the child and say, I'm looking for another name. William, <laughs> you understand that getting your work done is very important. And the kid's going to go, uh-huh, 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 right? Because he's got 10 adults around him. And you know how important it is, right? You're going to work harder at it, right? Or you need to do, we're telling you that you need to write it down in your planner and blah, blah, blah. And that's what you need to do. So that does nothing. All it does is puts the kid on the spot. And he doesn't know what's going on. He's just being William. He doesn't get it. And he wants to say the right thing. He wants to say that he will. And, you know, even with adults with ADHD, I'll get it done. I know I will. Of course, you want to get it done. And we understand. But then once you leave this room and the too many other things that are happening, so that doesn't work. Particularly, with, you know, as kids get older, what I say is that I think the parents and the teachers have to work things out. The adults have to think, work things out first. Once the teachers and the adults are on the same page, you know, teachers and parents, I'm sorry, are on the same page. Bring in the kid. Say, look, this is what we're going to do for you. What do you think? Anything else you can think of? Blah, blah, blah. And then you've got things going. But that's because you've gotten teachers to not be looking to the kid to fix the problem, that it's really the teachers who are doing it. And self-advocacy, it's always a good thing because if he's at college, for example, they can get a letter from the disability services office saying that these are the accommodations that they're allowed to have, but if the student doesn't give it to the professor, they don't have to do it. So you have to advocate for yourself. And that is very important in school because the student should know what accommodations they're entitled to and not entitled to make it easier for them than anybody else. It's to make it as easy as it is for everybody else. You still have to work, but don't have to be overwhelmed. That self-advocacy is is actually very important, that they should be able to identify what's the problem or what things help them, and to be able to say to the teacher, wait a second, I was supposed to have this assignment altered. I definitely agree. I, I feel like allowing the students 
the space to be a part of it um, will build their confidence and it will gradually get better in time. Yeah. And I think it's that live, you know, talking about something is not the same as living it, the in vivo experience. So when a child is thinking through with people who are supportive, what the problem is, it helps them to understand that problem better for themselves and also what kinds of things others can do to help as well as things that might work for them too. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Katz. And thank you everyone for joining us and putting your foot forward and allowing yourself to understand ADHD a little bit better. I want to thank you again, Dr. Katz, for joining us and doing this informative podcast. Thank you. I love the opportunity. Thank you for listening to another episode of the All Things ADHD podcast from Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD.